Well, here we are, it's Advent. And I have to confess to you, I finally gave in. Let me explain what I mean. You know that the Christmas season does not begin in December, right? You know that. It begins earlier and earlier. And sometimes I confess I chafe at that. I really do. I chafe at it. Maybe because Madison Avenue and retail vendors are chomping at the bit to exploit the season and the citizens for some materialistic purposes. And I really have to guard my heart about that. I don't know about you, but I have to guard my heart about the materialism of this season. Our world, though, wants to rush to Christmas. As someone said, the waiting is over by Halloween. But every indication in the stores this year was it was over before then. I'm not going to mention one retailer that's next to Chick-fil-A on Amherst Street, but (laughs) I went in there in September, and they had a full Christmas display, and I thought, Lord Jesus, what's happening? We don't want to wait for anything, especially Christmas. But I have to confess to you, I gave in. This year, our our typical season is, um, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, that's when you like kind of launch Christmas. You put up the tree, you hang the lights, you do all that stuff. I'm sure it's in the Bible somewhere, I just don't know where. And that's what you do the day after Christmas, right? Well, this year, rather than wait to hang the lights, our outdoor Christmas lights, on Friday after Thanksgiving, I strung the first strand on November 12th. I know it's blasphemy, isn't it? And I finished the whole project by November 19th on our front porch. But then I noticed something that I'd never seen before. I noticed that more people than I can ever remember had the same idea. I started driving around, and I, I saw more lights and stars and glistening trees earlier than ever before. So I wondered, did they do that for the same reason that I did that? You see, this is why I did it. I just wanted to find myself. I just wanted to find my way to Advent as soon as possible. Not Christmas, but Advent. I wanted to find my way to that first candle as soon as possible. I wanted to find my way to hope. In the wisdom of the Christian year, we have this season called Advent that invites us to wait. It invites us to watch. It invites us to trust. It invites us to hope. This this strange season that blurs into Christmas. It actually courageously faces the angst and the anxieties and the anger of a world broken down. And it dares to invite, this season of Advent dares to invite everyone, every single human being to do just four things. 
to choose hope, to embrace peace, to declare joy, and to receive and practice love. Those are the four things. We sang 19th century words that were penned by William Chatterton Dix just a few moments ago. And those words were these. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh, and, and we sing it all in one sentence. Come peasant king to own him, but that's not how it's written. It's come peasant king to own him. The theme of this series through Advent and that devotional book that we've been talking about this morning carry the message of God's incarnation at Christ's birth as a declaration of this God who is for everyone. Peasant, king, and everyone between. It's the God who he's for. And the moment we set up barriers between the peasant and the king, we're doing something less than the gospel. So we're going to lean into the age-old themes of Advent, hope and peace and joy and love. But I ask you, has there ever been a time in our lives where those themes have ever needed to be more than mere holiday words, but encountered and practiced realities in and through us? Everyone. Let's come to him. But our starting place seems unusual, doesn't it? In fact, when you really practice Advent and you begin to look at the Scriptures, we find some strange things. Like next week, it's like, you know, we, we meet our strange Uncle John again, John the Baptist, next week. And today you heard the words read from Pastor Shirley, Psalm 25. And when you look at it, you, you see that they're the perfect words for Advent, but to understand them, we need to understand the context of Psalm 25. You heard, and I heard, verses 1 through 10, but in verse 16, we read these words. Listen carefully. Listen carefully to them. What do they say to you? How do they make you feel? Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart. Free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. Distress. It seems like our world is in distress. Hear these words that we just heard again. Our lonely, afflicted, troubles, anguish, affliction, distress, sins. Those were the words that give us the context of this psalm. Distress. Our world is in distress. You heard on the news, didn't you, about the father sitting down with his family for Thanksgiving dinner in Philadelphia and a random stray bullet went through the window and killed him? You've, saw, you've seen the news reports of people in large groups ransacking stores on the West Coast. You hear the, the angst, the concern of a pandemic that we've over-politicized, right? Over-individualized, but yet people are dying. You've heard that. I've heard that. You feel distress. These are days that feel 
distress. This is our psalm for this season. Because you see, this psalmist does not give us the luxury today to simply hang the Christmas lights and sing joy to the world. The psalmist doesn't let me do that. The psalmist doesn't let me hang my my sign. I have a big sign on our porch. It flashes. It says, joy. And I have all these lights, and I have these little people. Well, they're not my little people. They're my wife's little people. I'd have bigger people. She has little people, right? I have all that stuff, but but it, it doesn't let me just let that cover up the distress of the world. The psalmist doesn't let me do that. His words in the spirit of Advent call us to look deeply and honestly within and without and ask questions like this. What distresses you? What unseats your peace? What what causes you to struggle? Don't start with a finger out there in the world. Start here. That's where I have to start. Maybe that's why I wanted to run to hope this year. What distresses you? What distresses your neighbor? Is it external stress, such as the world events around you, or is it the internal stress of sin, selfishness? Internal stress of choices you've made, attitudes you've had, words you've said that you can't get back. Internal stress that forms in the shame of guilt and, sh- and, and, and shame. and It forms in that shape. You see, this is indeed a psalm for Advent 2021. Psalm 25 is a psalm of distress. Now, words that I read just a couple weeks ago describe something of the noise behind the contrarian call of the Advent hope. Maybe you walked in here today saying, awesome, the beginning of Christmas season. Can't wait for Pastor Jeff to give us a Christmas message. But that's not the season. We've got to wait. If we want to understand what really happened on Christmas morning, we've got to wait. We've got to understand what's happening in our world so that Christ can be born again in us. So listen to these words behind the contrarian call of Advent Hope from J.D. Walt just a couple weeks ago. It is the story of our lives. It is the story of a baby that will never be born. A spouse who should not have died so soon. A marriage that should not have ended as it did. A career path that just couldn't seem to right itself. An addiction that swallowed up your whole life a mental illness that led to the brink of bankruptcy and even suicide, and you can take it from there. It is the story of the kind of discouraging situations and conditions that become infected with despair and metastasize into depression and hopelessness. Or worse, worse for many of us, it is the more common story of the not-quite-crisis, that low-grade fever of a slumbering prosperity without purpose. A misleading life of pain so normalized it has become forgotten and it's propped up by caffeine and sedated by Chardonnay. He goes on. 
Whether screaming or whispering, the song is the same. No energy, no purpose, no light, no life, no happiness, no friends, no lover, no faith, no hope, no love. No, no, no. Pastor Jeff, why are you sharing these things this morning? Do you know that the first Sunday of Advent is often the hardest Sunday of Advent? Because it offers us what can often be the hardest choice in life. And you know what that choice is? Faith. Think about it. Faith. Faith is easy. Faith is easy until it runs into life. Right? Anyone else discover that? It's easy to talk about God. It's easy to talk about faith. It's easy to pontificate about great spiritual things and righteous things. But then it runs into life. And it's hard. Listen to the words that introduce what's called the faith chapter. Hebrews 11. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. It's the reality of what we hope for. When we read these words in the context of this world, this distressing world that the psalmist captures for us, we discover what hope really is. Hope is the intentional, courageous act of faith that faces the harsh, cold wind of life, and it dares to believe. It dares to believe that God is God, and that God is good. That he is at work in a broken world among our lives, and it dares to believe, faith dares to believe that he has not forgotten us because the hinge pin of it is this. Emmanuel, God is with us. Hear that. Emmanuel, God is with us. We have allowed so much to take us away from that message. Emmanuel, God is with us. He has not forgotten us. It is not hope because of the perfect circumstances. Rather, it is hope in the perfect storm because we have hope in the perfect character of God. So don't go looking for a non-turbulent life. If your goal is to have a non-turbulent life, you're going to be grossly disappointed. It may not be happening now. But at some point in your life, you will face turbulence. At some point in your life, the plane ride's going to get bumpy. At some point in your life, you're going to feel like someone's pulled the rug out from underneath you. And you might even be like the psalmists have done and have said, read your Bible, read the Psalms, where they've said, where are you, O God? Why is this going on, O God? What's happening, O God? And in the middle of doing that, do you know what they're doing? They're practicing their faith because they know that God is God and God is good and he can be trusted even when it gets turbulent. So don't go looking for a non-turbulent life. Look for the ever-faithful God. This is the cry of Advent. So a number of people have said it, said it exactly this way. So it's not just one person. Many people have said it this way. We are not without hope Hear it. We are not without hope because 
we are not without God. Say that with me. We are not without hope because we are not without God. Amen. I was reading through the book of Hebrews recently, and I stumbled into Hebrews 11, and I lived there for a little bit. We love reading. If you've never read the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, I would encourage you to do that. It's, it's kind of exciting. And we read, we read about these great exploits and these great victories, and we go, this is kind of cool. But those aren't the point of the chapter. They're not the heart of the story. The true heart of the faith chapter is actually found in the words that really connect to the broken man, the lonely woman, the forgotten child, the common person. These words, later on in verse 13 of chapter 11, describing all these heroes of faith, it then says this, each one of these people of faith died not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. They didn't have what was promised. They didn't see the Messiah. They didn't get the promise that they were given. And yet, how did they do it? The message paraphrase goes on. They saw it way off in the distance, waved their greeting, and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. They were after a far better country than that heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. Now this is so important. This is the actual theme. It's so important that the person who penned this letter repeats it. And towards the end of that same chapter says this, verse 39, not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us. Pause there a minute. Are you prepared, even though you don't get what you want out of your faith, to still practice your faith? Even though you're disappointed in people or the church, or your family, or your neighbors. You don't, it doesn't, even though the story doesn't work the way you want it to work, are you going to be one of those people who are counted in the hall of faith of Hebrews 11? Because most of Hebrews 11 is really the story about the unnamed heroes, the unheroic heroes. You see, that's hope. And nothing makes this more real than the season of Advent where we intentionally lean into hope even when we look and we see turbulence. Psalm 25 has been called an eloquent testimony of the character of God. And it is here, it is here, my friends, that we anchor our hope. This is what Advent's about. It's about anchoring our hope. Verse 1, in you, Lord my God, I put my trust. Verse 7, you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Verse 10, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. And for the one who follows the Christ at the heart of Christmas, 
This hope is particularly durable. Because ultimately, I hope you heard what we sang this morning. Because we lean into Advent looking through the lens of the resurrection. Not with rose-colored glasses that minimize suffering and avoid pain. Not with glasses that dismiss sin and evil and trivializes death with cute religious platitudes such as, everything happens for a reason. Hope is durable when what is happening can't be explained. When there is not any rhyme or reason. Look at the cross of Jesus. Does that make sense? Hope is durable when the why question remains unanswered with a deafening silence and all we seem left with is our doubts and our struggles, wanting someone to tell us where God is in the midst of them. But as John Bald writes, what we really need is not some intellectually acceptable answer to life's most mysterious conundrum about God's action and inaction. The need is for God. The need is for God himself. Coupled with the patience to wait for him to come in his own time. But here's the trick. The waiting is not easy. Amen? And that's why Advent captures me. That's why Advent captures us. Like the psalmist who is walking through distress and unthinkable turbulence in life. He says this, You are God my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. The word for hope here also means wait. In fact, the New King James Bible says it well. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember the meaning of Advent? It, it literally means, it means arrival, but more literally it means something coming into place. So you see, we're waiting for God to come into place in the places of our lives. We're doing that as we wait between his coming and his birth and when he'll come and make all things right. And we all live in Advent. We all live in that place all the time. Life is Advent. Waiting, hoping, trusting for the arrival. We're all looking for God to come into some place in our lives and meet us. So this gives us the language we need to declare our hope in God as we wait for God to show up through the clouds of our lives and ultimately through the world's clouds. And we do that because we know three things. Jesus came. Jesus came. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus comes right now, this day. Emmanuel, God is with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we know this. He's coming again to make all things right. Jesus. So this is what the writer to the Hebrews means, this hope when he says, we have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. 
Not to, not to our religion, not to our membership, not to our, 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 our family history in the church or any of that stuff, but to God himself. We're holding to God himself. That is the unbreakable anchor. Because Jesus has gone before us and is present with us, yes, as it says in verse 5, you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. And so when we read these words, we discover what we must do. So what do we do with all this? Well, we discover what we must do. When our faces are bracing into the winds of despair and sorrow and pain and heartache, whether in the world around us or the world within us, with hope that the God who has come comes still and will come again, with hope that that God is for us, what do we do? We must offer our lives to him. We must offer the core of our being to him. As Clinton McCann said, to offer one's life to God is always trusting God amid threatening circumstances, as is always the case. Faith and hope are inseparable. To offer one's life to God means to live with hope, to wait for the Lord. So the Common English Bible translates verse 1 and 2, I offer my life to you, Lord. My God, I trust you. The word for life, by the way, in verse 1 is soul. I offer my soul. I offer the depth of my being. I offer, offer everything I am. Whatever stage or state in life, knowing that his coming is for everyday life, for the everyday lives of people, I offer my life to you, Lord. Here are those seven words. I offer my life to you, Lord. You will read in the devotional that we're going through together those words from Olivia Metcalf. And she says this, everything changes when we live into these seven words. Think about your life right now. I will offer my life to you, Lord. Everything changes when we live into these seven words. She goes on and says this, the incarnation is a sign and symbol of the willingness of God, the creator of the universe, to enter into our lives. To come and come again is an invitation to us to live as if, as if God is here now. And with this coming of God again and again, what else is there for you and I to do? In the midst of the turbulence, in the midst of the questions, in the midst of the, of the so many different ways where it doesn't work out the way we want it to, what is left for us to do? I will offer my life to you, God. I will offer my life to you. Doesn't make sense at times, God. I want more answers, God. No, it, it's not working the way I thought it's supposed to work, God. It's not. So God, I'm just going to offer my life to you. Whatever it is, I offer it to you. And that is what hope in God does. That is where hope is found. Because here's the reality. Hope isn't some emotion that pumps me up. Hope isn't even some religious attribute. Hope is Jesus. Hope, strength, courage, faith. Holiness, righteousness, goodness, justice, love, mercy. There's one word for all of it. Jesus. Jesus. 
And if you have Jesus dwelling in you by faith in him, you have hope. And you have strength. And you have faith. And you have what's needed. It is he who is our hope, allowing us to trust him even as we wait for him. So tis the season, right? Tis the season. Uh, let me just help us a little bit here. Merry Christmas. Here, let's kind of practice. In our waiting, we're practicing, right? Tis the season. Not, not for trinkets and tinsel, but Advent. It's the season for hope. It's the season for longing. It is longing for what can be as we live with what is. It is living in the kingdom of God that has come and toward the kingdom of God that is yet to be. Advent is the season that drips with hope and hopefulness while being honest about the hopelessness that seems to invade our world and sometimes our lives. And it is the season of waiting. Waiting not only for the grand Christmas event in the manger that gets all the press, but waiting that pulls our gaze to the hope-born truth that there's a bigger picture and that Jesus Christ wants to make all things right. And he wants to begin that great project of redemption that's God's plan in the heart of all of Scripture. He wants to begin that in your life, in my life, and through our lives to the world. So that one day when Christ returns to make all things right completely, it'll be pretty familiar because it's what we've been about our entire lives living for him. You are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. So I confess to you, I gave in. I couldn't help myself. I just had to get to hope. We're going to close in singing. It's not actually a Christmas song. It's an Advent song. Probably the most famous Advent song of them all. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Now, I don't know where you are in your journey with God. Maybe you're here or you're online and you've, you've never came to this place where you said, I will offer my life to the Lord. But here's what I want to invite you to consider. As we sing this song, I want to invite you to make it your prayer. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Where is it that you need Emmanuel, God, with us to come? Where is it that the hope seems extinguished? Where is it where you're anxious 
or you're angry. Where is it where you know in your heart that it's really the turbulence within that's truly creating the turbulence without? I have good news. There's one called Jesus. And he has come. And this entire season is about faith, the courageous, hard choice of faith. That even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, even when I can't even be sure if I know it, that God is good. And he meets us in Jesus. And so as you sing this, where is it that you need him to come? Make that your prayer this Advent. And if you don't find him meeting you in some way, if you're going to be honest and open and prayerful and not focused on others, but focused on God, you come see me at the end of Advent and tell me he doesn't meet you. Be honest, be open, be ready, be looking, be waiting, be hoping. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Would you pray that prayer? I'm going to pray that prayer. I'm going to live in that and see where he's going to meet me. Stand with me if you would today. Jamie's going to lead us. Let's sing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel.